1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but... It was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and labourer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and and Archaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you their greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all. In Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, today we've come to our final chapter in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Um, It's the end of our series. Uh, We start our series on the 5th of November. And is today the 5th of August? Yep, so pretty much exactly nine months since uh, we began. And it's not often that we actually get to hear chapter 16 getting taught. It often just gets overlooked because we just assume, oh, this is just Paul's closing remarks and and it's not that relevant for us. You know, Paul's just wrapping up the letter and saying, ta-da, see you later, love Paul. But the thing is, whenever the Apostle Paul wrote a letter, he wasn't at all in the habit of wasting words. And here, even even in the ending to his letter, there's a lot for us to learn. And we have to remember that the Bible was never written with chapter and verse numbers in it. Um, that they're just things that we put in later on to try and help us to navigate our way around the Bible. When Paul wrote this, he just wrote a letter. 
And when you write, write a letter to somebody, there's probably not many letters written these days, but when I grew up, we used to write letters to folk and we never put chapter and verse numbers in, do we? And neither did Paul. We just finish one paragraph and start the next one. And that's exactly what Paul did. At the end of chapter 15, which we were talked about last week, um, Paul's been sharing about how the promise and our expectation of eternal life compels us to be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labour is never in vain. Now, at that point, our Bibles put a chapter marker in there to go, there you go, end of that topic, beginning of the next one. But it wasn't the end of the topic at all. Um, Paul now goes on to show us how to be immovable, how we can abound in the work of the Lord and how we can be steadfast. And he gives us practical examples of this with his instructions to, these, to the Corinthian church. And the first practical example that he gives them of doing the Lord's work is generosity. Being a disciple of Jesus involves generosity. Uh, the Christians in, in Jerusalem were doing it tough. Uh, Jerusalem wasn't at all a wealthy city in itself, but on top of that, the Christians were on the outer. Right? The Jews hated them, and the Jews dominated the economy in Jerusalem. And so the Christians in Jerusalem, they missed out on opportunities of employment. They missed out on business opportunities, and they were generally pretty poor. They were doing it tough. But the church in Corinth, well, they weren't doing it as tough as what they were. Uh, being a major seaport and a major trading hub, Corinth itself was quite prosperous. But even within the city itself, they weren't being persecuted in the same way as what the Christians were in Jerusalem. Now, we know that when a city's wealthy, that that wealth doesn't trickle down to everyone in the community. But compared to the Christians in Jerusalem, they were doing okay. And what should we do about it? When we know Christians in another country are suffering, what should we do about it? Well, we should help them out however we can. Because in the family of God, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And of course, the most practical way that we can help them is to send them some money for food. And Paul gives three very practical instructions on how we should be generous and how we should give. Firstly, giving should be planned. I learned a long time ago that if giving to support local ministry wasn't going to be my first priority and, and giving to help those in need wasn't my second priority, I'd, I'd ultimately end up spending everything that I earned on other stuff, stuff that I also considered as important, but then I'd have nothing left to give. Because here's the thing. If we leave God the leftovers, guess what? Often there won't be any leftovers. Our giving should be planned. Um, and I'm going to tell you this, not to big note myself or anything, but just give you a practical example of how we can do this planning. Right from the very first day that I started work, uh, 
I made myself a cash flow budget. Now, any one of you have ever had to do a business plan or anything knows how to do a cash flow budget. You put your income up the top, say, all right, I think in this month I'll earn this much, and in this month I'll earn this much. And when, when you're a wage earner, it might be pretty much the same all the way across. When you're in a business, you might have clumps when you think, okay, this month we'll have this month, and then I'm not going to earn anything that month or that month. But you put all your, what you expect to earn up there, and then you've got all your expenses down the bottom. And you say, right, oh, well, I know I have to have money in the bank for, for this month because insurance is going to come due there and registration is going to be there and the electricity bill is going to be in those four months. And, and, and one of the line items on the budget that I always had was tithe. So 10% of our gross income before any expenses and before any tax would just be put aside. That was the first thing on the budget and that went to the church to provide for local ministry. And then another separate line item on the budget that we had was for supporting overseas Christian aid. And that wasn't worked in, that was in addition to, to the tithe. And that's just a simple way that, that we always planned to give and still continue to do this. Uh, giving should be planned. Now, I'm not saying you have to plan in the same way that we do it. Um, but I'm just saying that's, that's an example of how we've done it and it's been very helpful for us in, in making giving a priority, priority. Paul says to put something aside each week. And I want to encourage you, plan to be generous. If we leave God the leftovers, there probably won't be any. But when we plan to be generous there will always be some. Secondly, everybody has the capacity to give. Doesn't matter how rich I am or how poor I feel I am. Doesn't matter whether I'm a wage earner or whether I'm a business owner. Doesn't matter whether I'm having a good year or whether I'm having a bad year. It doesn't matter whether I'm on a regular income or whether it's seasonal. It doesn't matter whether I'm paying off a house or whether I'm paying off a farm. Everybody has the capacity to give something. Paul says, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Right? We, we all have the capacity to give. And something that I've discovered in, in our own lives um, is it's very easy to not plan for that. But if I'm not giving, then I've found I just need to rearrange my finances or rearrange my expectation of living so that I can. And thirdly, when we give, we should entrust our gift to people we trust to make sure it gets to the right place. Paul was going to make sure that the gift that they got together was going to make it to those who were in need. And when, when we give, it's pretty important that we don't just send money off to every internet scam that comes along. I don't know if you guys get all the same emails as I do. Um, we've got this great worthy cause and... The thing is, if, if you're a bit gullible, you'll give to a lot of these worthy causes and what you're actually doing is supporting criminal enterprise and dodgy people. Um, and even locally, I've got to be very careful about who we support with a bit of food and whatnot because there are so many people who just front up and say, oh, we've got nothing. But when you talk to them a bit, well, why do you have nothing? Well, it's because they've been buying drugs and alcohol or gambling. When we give... A good practice is to give through reputable Christian organisations. And, and there's a lot of them. 
Um, and if you need any advice on that, you can always bounce it off of us. All right. So, so the first practical example of doing the Lord's work is generosity. The second example is hospitality. Um, now, Paul was a missionary. We're not all missionaries like Paul, but we can all be involved in mission. And the Corinthians could do this simply by being hospitable. Paul was going to need somewhere to stay over winter, and, and likewise, Timothy's going to need some hospitality as he passes through. And Christian hospitality is an opportunity for, for fellowship. It's an opportunity for us to express our generosity and it's an opportunity to partner with those who are called to mission. And I am so thankful that my parents gave us kids a really good example when it came to hospitality. Uh, even with people who we didn't know, if there were people, we lived about 25 miles out of Gundawindi, was our property. Um, but if people came to town and they were doing the Lord's work there and they didn't have anywhere to stay, my parents were always the first ones to put up their hand and say, oh, come and stay with us. And I remember a regular visitor we used to always have. I'll just stop while the plane goes. The, the Salvation Army, we didn't have a Salvation Army in, in Gundawindi, but um, once a year this Salvo came around visiting all the properties in the district and when he did that in some districts he used to sleep in his car but not when he came to our district mum and dad always had a bed for him and, and I was just so thankful for that example that they said and and we ourselves we find it a real blessing when when somebody comes to town even if we don't know them if they've got nowhere to stay we say hey just stay with us and often they do seldom we realize just how important Christian hospitality is. I reckon, from my experience, the single biggest door that any of us can open that makes a local church to be more, a more inviting place is Christian hospitality. The greatest thing that any of us can do is when a visitor comes to church, to invite them home for lunch. You know, they might be strangers, but they're not really strangers because they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Be hospitable. And wouldn't it be wonderful if every single visitor that we ever had come to this church was invited home to somebody's place for lunch? That makes a really big impression on someone. And it's not only good for them, it's good for us. It's good for us to express hospitality and it's good for us to increase that fellowship with these people from away. The third example of doing the Lord's work and being steadfast and immovable in the faith is persistence. Sometimes we give in way too quick. Paul tells us that he's going to stay in Ephesus for a while until Pentecost because there's a wide door open for effective work. But he also says, and there are many adversaries. Get that. He's staying for two reasons. He sees a big opportunity for the Lord's work and there's people there who are trying to destroy him. There are people there who are trying to destroy God's work. One thing that I've noticed in ministry is that when the Lord opens a door for an effective work, 
the devil does his darndest to try and slam it in our face. When the gospel is being preached and people are turning their hearts toward God and they're growing in the faith, we can be sure that adversaries will rise up against that ministry. Now, when that happens, and don't be surprised when it happens, but when it happens, how do we take that? What, what do we perceive from that? As a pastor, I've had some pretty deep conversations with a lot of people and you know, one of the most common cravings that I've found in disciples of Jesus is to know the will of God. Um, people want to know, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my church? How does, how does, where does God want me to be working or whatever? And, and when it comes to discerning the will of God, a lot, lot of folk will use what they call the open door, closed door principle. You, you're familiar with that one? That's where... You'll pray, well, Lord, how do you want me to serve you? Or, Lord, what ministry do you want this church involved in? Or, Lord, what work do you want me to be doing? Or whatever. Just insert your prayer there, and then you start looking to see what doors open and what doors close. And there you go. You, you feel that you've got the answer to your prayer. And there is some validity in that. But you know what, I reckon with the open door, closed door principle, most of the time we're actually looking for the wrong sort of door. Most of the time we're looking for the door of easiness or for the door of convenience or we're looking for the door of satisfaction when we should be looking for the door of opportunity and for the door of effectiveness. Because sometimes the most effective ministries are those that are being harshly persecuted. And for so many of us, when things start going tough, we, we go, oh, well, God must have closed that door. We'll move on to something else. When God's done no such thing. You see, Paul knew better. Paul knew that obedience to Christ is always going to be costly. Rarely will it be popular. And almost never will it be easy. In fact, Paul said, sorry, Paul saw increasing adversity as a sign that he should persevere. Fourthly, persevering in the work of the Lord includes visitation. Timothy's going to come and visit him. Apollos is going to come when he gets an opportunity. Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, I'm not sure I pronounced those names correctly, but that's the way I will do it, are three men whose names we are trying to pronounce 2,000 years after this letter was written for one simple reason. Paul wanted to honour them because they came to visit Paul when he needed a visit. Isn't that amazing? We know these three blokes' names, even if we can't say them. We know these blokes' names 2,000 years after they lived for the simple reason that they went and visited someone when they needed a visit. What an honour, eh? Now, some people feel it's the minister's job to do the visiting. And guess what? They're absolutely right. It's the minister's job to visit as much as it's your job to visit. It is all of us should be visiting. Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus refreshed Paul's spirit by visiting him. 
Do you realize your, your pastor needs visiting as well? And we can all visit. All it takes is time to do a visit. And that's something we've all got exactly the same amount of. We've all got exactly the same amount of time as each other. So you can't say, oh, well, I can't visit because I don't have time. I'll leave it for those other people. No, no, you've got exactly the same amount of time as everybody else. Is there anyone at all in Warrawee whom you know? Anyone at all? Well, I reckon I could pretty much guarantee that that person would enjoy a visit from you every now and then. What about your brothers and sisters in Christ? There are a few things more delightful than just having somebody just drop in, just to spend some time, just because. And what about those who aren't yet Christians? A visit from you or, or an invitation from you, not only to come to church, but for you to pick them up and to bring them to church. Or just to drop in out of the blue. You know, I learned a long time ago, no matter how busy I am, or how busy I feel I am, um, if somebody invites me to have a cup of tea with them, don't even think about it. Say, yeah, that'd be good, thanks. Um, even if I've already had 32 cups of tea that day because I've been visiting, always say yes. Why? Because they're not really inviting you to have a drink with them. What they're doing is they're inviting you to spend some time with them. And sitting down with a cup of tea, it's just an excuse to get to know somebody and have a chat. Do you know what happens when we visit someone in the name of Christ? It refreshes their spirit. Something spiritual happens. God does something spiritual in this simple act of visiting. And it's something that we can all do. Now, we all want to get involved in the spiritual work of God, don't we? And some of us, we feel, oh, I'm not up to spiritual work. I'll do a few practical things. Well, here's a very practical thing that is also a spiritual thing. Just go and have a visit and have a chat and maybe pray. And now Paul gives five final instructions. And, that, and they, these ones come pretty fast and we'll jump over them pretty fast. And these are the ones that Ben covered with the kids in the kids' story. Be watchful. That's like saying, stay awake. Right? The time of Jesus' return is fast approaching. Let's make sure we're ready when he comes. Stand firm in the faith. We talked about this last week. We should always hold fast to our faith in Jesus Christ. Don't be swayed from it. Act like men. Um, I, thank, I thank God that this isn't the case with this church here at Bush Disciples. Uh, but in the majority of Western churches today, the men are mostly absent. And why wouldn't they be? For years now, some churches have been trying to suppress and even demonise the masculinity of men. And guess what? God doesn't want men to be effeminate, nor does he want us to be scared or timid like little children. 
Now, some Bible translations have even tried to remove the perceived gender bias from this verse. So instead of saying, act like men, they say, be courageous. But the Greek word is andrazesthe, which is entirely about masculinity. What it's saying is, man up. And yeah, to be a man is to be a man of courage and it is to be a leader. But why aren't the men stepping up in our churches? Why are the men letting the women take the load? Why aren't the men knuckling down and studying the word so that they can be teachers and so that they can be leaders and spiritual leaders, not only in the church, but in their own families? Is it because we have a false idea of what it means to be a man? You know, our culture teaches us that to be a man is to play football and drink beer. Whereas Paul's idea of being a man is to be mature in the faith, to be a leader, to be courageous, and to be a teacher. Man up. Be courageous. Be mature in the faith. Be strong. Yeah, the, the more I walk with God, the better I understand that I'm not strong. And any strength that I have is God's strength. And so this is really a call to faith. Don't look for strength in your own self. Be strong by drawing on the Lord's strength. But you know what? Manning up and being strong, we've got to be careful we don't start doing that in the way the world does it. Verse 14 says, let all that you do be done in love. Worldly manliness is nothing like godly manliness. And worldly strength is nothing like godly strength. Worldly manliness and worldly strength is all about being overbearing and oppressing those who are weak. And sadly, sometimes men get it into their heads that masculinity and being the head of the house is about being the master and the others are the slaves. And in the worst cases, um, domestic violence and abuse is perpetrated in the name of being a man or being the head of the house. And we won't have any of that here. And Paul wouldn't have any of it either. He says, let everything that you do be done in love. That's very different, isn't it? And whether you're a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, let all that you do be done in love. And let it be done for the building up of the other. Right. Now we're starting to reach the final part where Paul's signing off his letter. Various churches and various people send their greetings. Isn't isn't that nice? Um, I reckon we should do more of that, foster a greater connectedness with churches in other towns. And I'm actually feeling a little bit ashamed right now because Robin and I, we visited the Bonjane Church of Christ last week and I neglected to share with them a formal greeting from our church here. And I should have done that because I know some of you guys ask us sometimes, oh, how's it 
church at Bonjean Gown because they use some of our recordings and stuff. And and I neglected to actually do that. I, we enjoyed being there and people asked us afterwards how things are going here and we shared. But I probably should bring a formal greeting to you guys too. They all wanted to know how we're going. And yeah, we have a bit of a connectedness there. But wouldn't it be nice if every time one of us was away and we visited another church, and by the way, I hope you do still go to church when you go away and that you do visit other churches, but wouldn't it be nice if every time we were away that we were able to take with us a gr greeting from this church to that church or to, and then to bring a greeting back from them to us? I, I remember a man from our church in Dolby who every time he went away, he got up and he shared greetings from our church to them and then every time that he returned to our church, he would get up and he would share a greeting from their church to ours. And I never, I never thought much about it at the time. I just said, okay, that's something he does. But now that I think about it, isn't that wonderful? To be able to have that connectedness and to share. The, the, the Christian church is so much bigger than ourselves. Our, our connectedness with other churches in other places is so important. We should never become insular. We should never become all only fixated on ourselves and what we're doing. So greetings. And verse 20 says, All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now I've told you this before, but do you, do you remember that the difference between a holy kiss and an unholy kiss? About 15 seconds. When Paul wrote a letter, usually most of it was written by a scribe. Right? He'd dictate it and somebody else would write it down, but usually he liked to finish off with his own handwriting to give it that personal touch. And he does that here. Uh, but it might surprise us that as Paul finished off this letter, he gave both a blessing and a curse. Now, as good Christians, we're pretty much used to blessings, aren't we? Like, bless, bless, bless. When's the last time you've sort of really heard a curse from a Christian and go, oh, yes, no, that was right for them to do that curse. Um, but here, Paul actually feels it's so important that as he writes in his own scrawling handwriting, by the way, I forget which letter it is, but one of his other letters, he says, I'm writing this in my own hand. See how big the letters are, right? So he's like, he's... He's being very honest. He's, he's not the best writer in the world. But here he's scrawling something. He finds it so important that he actually has to say a curse. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come. Wow. Have you ever seen anything like it? A Christian pronouncing a curse. Why would he do that? I think we have to remember, it's been a long journey. What did we say? Nine months we've been working through Corinthians. And in that time, we've very quickly discovered, particularly at, towards the beginning, that he was writing to a church that was filled with bitterness and bickering. And some people thought of themselves as more important than others. And some people prided themselves on their knowledge and they didn't know at all. This, this church, it was in a mess. 
And it was pretty obvious to Paul that there were some there in that church who actually didn't love the Lord. And what would they be doing there? Well, how could he tell for a start? Well, it's John who told us, if you don't love your brother or sister in Christ, then you can't possibly love the Lord. Right? He says, hey, if you can't love your brother whom you have seen, how could you possibly love the Lord who you have not seen? He goes on to say that if, if you claim to love Jesus but hate your brother, you're a liar. And if we don't have brotherly affection towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's a pretty good sign that we actually don't really love God. We might say we love God. We might think that we love God. But the proof's in the pudding. And if we don't have a brotherly affection towards our Lord Jesus Christ, we've got no place being in the church in the first place. We should be accursed. When the Lord returns, he's going to sort out the wheat from the chaff. He's going to sort out the sheep from the goats. He'll sort out those who love him from those who don't love him. And those who don't love the Lord will be accursed. But for those who do love the Lord, for those who do belong to Christ, Paul gives the most wonderful blessing. And I'm going to finish off today's message with that blessing and finish off this series with that blessing. But I want you to note, the thing in between the curse and the blessing are the, are the three words, our Lord come. And that's the, that's the point at which the blessing and the curse will take place. Those who don't love the Lord when our Lord comes will be accursed. And those who do love the Lord when our Lord comes will be blessed. So here's the blessing. Our Lord come, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to that church in Corinth so many years ago. And Lord, I want to thank you that for the miracle in itself that that letter has been preserved for so many years and written into a language that we can understand it. And Lord, I want to thank you for the, for the way that that teaching to that church in Corinth has been so relevant for the teaching of us today. And Lord, I just pray that that this wouldn't just become meaningless head knowledge to us. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit has already been working in our hearts through this whole series. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit has been changing us to make us more a people who love and a people who endure and a people who work for you in the name of Christ. And Lord, as I think back over this message, this final message, Lord I, Lord, I thank you for what we learn about the importance of hospitality and generosity and perseverance and standing strong 
and being men as you call us to be men. And for all the other things, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to practically, practically outwork our faith. In the name of Jesus, amen.